Good morning. My name is Shannon Sanker, and I am the pastor of parents, children, and teens here at University Christian Church. I gave a talk on Sunday, December 24th, 2023, that did not record. So I was asked if I would give that talk again and record it. So here we go. In my work as a um, family pastor here, I plan faith formation for our kids and teens here, and I work with them on Sunday morning. So you probably don't usually see me upstairs, and some of you have maybe never even seen me at all because I'm downstairs every Sunday morning uh, where I get to talk about scripture and spiritual things with first through sixth graders. And it is a blessing, and I love it down there. And several months ago, Jeremiah asked me if I'd ever want to preach. And my immediate response was, nope, no, I'm good. Thanks. I can stand in front of a classroom of kids all day long and speak, which I did once upon a time um, teaching middle schoolers. But for some reason, talking to adults, it's a different beast <laughs> and it makes me a bit anxious. But when Jeremiah was planning speakers for Advent, he asked me again, and I swear I opened my mouth to say no, but found myself saying, maybe? The Lord's been doing a lot in me over the past few years for various reasons, and um, I got the sense that he wanted me to share something. And then Jeremiah assigned the week's theme of love to me during Advent, and it began to be clear to me why I felt the Lord's nudge to say yes. As I mentioned, I prepare faith formation for our kids and teens here, and there are times when I have no idea why the Bible is saying what it is saying. And if I don't know why it's saying what it's saying, that makes it a bit tricky to talk about it with others or to resource my leaders. So my preparation has taken me on many lovely deep dives into parts of scripture as I've attempted to understand what it means and plan how to communicate that. And through that process, the Lord has helped me understand his love in new ways. So I humbly offer to you this morning some of these insights that the Lord has given me. Father, may everything that leaves my mouth today be acceptable in your sight and for your glory. Amen. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, God is love. I know I've heard it for most of my life. We read it in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. God loves you. God loves me. Yes, yes, I know, we know, right? But do we really know? 
Do we remember? And what kind of love is this anyway? What does that love look like? To begin exploring that question, I ask you to walk with me for a bit on a quick stroll through the Old Testament. And if you're thinking, um, Shan, the Old Testament isn't very lovey-dovey. There's some really weird stuff in there, violence and troublesome bits. I would respond to you, yes, yes, there is violence, troublesome bits, weird stuff. But I still say that we can see what love looks like, how love begins by reading the Old Testament. So let's start there. In the very beginning of the Bible, right after the creation account in the book of Genesis, we learn how man and woman walked with God in a beautiful garden. Can you imagine? Adam and Eve had all they needed. Everything was in harmony with creation. And then the Bible says that the serpent tricked Eve, who in turn convinced Adam to go against the parameters God had given them not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They believed a lie about God. They forgot their God-bearer image and ate from the one forbidden tree in the garden, their only boundary. And then what did they do? Genesis 3.8 Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. They were afraid and they hid. They were shamed. And they hid. And what did God do next? He went looking for them. They hid, but he went to find them. Exodus 3, 9. Where are you? He said. He knew where they were. But instead of turning his back on them or waiting for them to crawl back to him, he called to them and went after them. He found them to restore them. Yes, there were grave consequences. Their sin ushered in death and disharmony. They were exiled from the garden, blocked from the tree of life. Yet there was also mercy and love extended to them. What kind of love is this? Eventually, we meet Abraham. God told Abraham to leave his country and go where God would show him to go. He made a covenant with Abraham, promising to bless the world through him, to give him land and descendants, even though he and his wife were quite old And it wasn't remotely possible for them to have a baby. Even so, Abraham believed God and took his entire household to the land God showed him. What faith and obedience, right? Then one day his wife Sarah says, "Uh, You know, 
the Lord hasn't actually given me a child yet. It's taken kind of long. So, here, take my slave girl. I can build a family through her. Abraham's like, bet. Good idea, Sarah. Here's what the scripture actually says. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Instead of waiting and trusting God to give him a descendant, as God had promised, Abraham makes a baby named Ishmael and caused a huge, broken, painful mess to follow. But that's a sermon for another day. So then God said to Abraham, didn't you hear what I said? You are a complete failure. I'm finished with you, man. My covenant with you is done. Is that what he said? No, he didn't. Instead, in spite of Abraham's epic fail, God kept his covenant with Abraham and gave him and Sarah a son in their old age. What kind of love is this? So Abraham has Isaac, who in turn had twins Esau and Jacob with Rebekah. Now, Jacob, who entered this world grabbing onto his twin's foot right on out of the womb, he lived a large part of his life lying, scheming, cheating, stealing his brother's birthright and blessing, among many other things. And yet, he gave Jacob the name Israel and formed the 12 tribes of Israel through him. God kept the covenant he made with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, and continued to work through complicated, self-centered Jacob. Why? Did Jacob earn it with his upright behavior? No. This is all the Lord who continued to plan his plan to bless the world and formed a relationship with Jacob. And Jacob was changed because of it. God kept the covenant out of love because he was working out his plan to redeem us all through one person at a time. What kind of love is this? A generation later, Abraham and Jacob's descendants find themselves in Egypt Several more generations, and they are enslaved in Egypt. You know the story. God calls Moses to tell Pharaoh to, what? Let his people go. When at last the Israelites have escaped Egypt, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, Moses led them through the wilderness to the base of Mount Sinai, where they set up camp. This account is in Exodus 19. God told Moses, 
You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And the Israelites responded in Exodus 19, 8. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Everything he has commanded. Awesome. They've confirmed the covenant with God. And this happens again in Exodus 24, verse 3. Moses relays the terms of the covenant. Obey me. Follow my commands. And then they say, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Everything. It's a go. Israel has agreed to the terms of the covenant. Everything is on track. And God's plan to redeem humanity is moving forward. Just a few chapters later, Exodus recounts how Moses went back up onto Mount Sinai to hear from the Lord. And apparently he was gone long enough that the people started to wonder what had happened to him. Can you imagine the scene? Hmm, Moses is taking awfully long. Maybe he's lost? I know. Let's make a gold cow statue god, and maybe that god will lead us. Seriously, people, didn't you just agree to the covenant? You know, the one that said you'll have no other gods and not make any idols? And Moses' brother Aaron who's supposed to be a priest, is like, sounds good. Let me help you. Here's your golden cow god. Already, Israel has broken their part of the covenant. By rights, the covenant should have been over. Done. Moot. Instead, God said, but I love you. You messed up. You rejected the good way I have laid out for you. But I love you. So I'll keep my covenant and keep working to redeem you. So if you didn't pick up on it, the Bible doesn't actually say those words. But ultimately, when we look back at the whole story, we see that this is the message over and over again. God keeps working out his plan to redeem Because he loves humankind and wants to be with us. And this, my friends, is the pattern of the Old Testament. Humans, I love you so much. Here's how you are to live because I am the Lord. I know you and it's what's best for you. And when the Israelites messed it up, wandered away, worshipped other things than Yahweh yet again, The message we see is this. You messed up. You rejected the good way I have laid out for you. But I love you. So I'll keep my covenant and keep working to redeem you. The entire Old Testament is full of this message. It's a continuous cycle of Israel going their own way, 
rejecting God's perfect way and his love, sinking back into idolatry and worshiping other gods, building shrines to them, even adopting horrific Canaanite practices like child sacrifice. How that had to break God's heart. And sometimes God allowed them to be invaded and oppressed by other nations in the hopes that they would return to him. He would raise up ordinary people to call them back to the covenant, back to himself. People like Deborah, Samuel, David, the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, so many more. And in those times of darkness, of exile, of oppression, God still loved Israel, still pursued them. He says in Isaiah 44, 22, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And in Isaiah 54, verse 10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And in those times of darkness, of exile, of oppression, God still promised hope. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Israel couldn't solve their problem. The problem of all humankind since the very beginning. So God promised a Savior, a Messiah, to make things right. He promised the Messiah would come, a Savior, to take care of our sin problem once and for all. And one day, in a small, insignificant town, alongside animals, A young woman gave birth to a tiny human boy who was not only human, but was the God of the universe in human form. Yahweh, who made and kept covenants. Yahweh, who loved without end. Yahweh, who wants to be with his creation and will pay the price to do so. He bridged the gap and came to us. Love came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. What kind of love is this, y'all? And we know that baby grew up and gave his entire self to us by taking the sin of all humanity my sin, your sin, upon himself, hanging on a cross, enduring a criminal's execution. And we have been redeemed 
because of this sacrifice. All thanks and praise be to God. So, what do we do with this gift that we can never repay? Besides falling on my face in worship and gratitude for what he has done. The two things that come to mind for me are um, Jesus' words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is, all of ourselves, our whole person. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that this is the greatest commandment. But honestly, before we can even do these two really hard things, we must first receive God's love ourselves. Because how can we give what we do not know? So let's look a bit deeper at love. Love is a basic need, yeah? We all long to be known, seen, understood, accepted. The problem is that we tend to seek love through other people, possessions, our accomplishments, and none of these can truly satisfy that longing that we have deep in ourselves. We are designed for intimate relationship with our creator. It's how we were made. In his book, Surrender to Love, author David Benner says that the results of Adam and Eve's sin means that humanity went from freedom to bondage, from intimacy to alienation, and from real love to self-love. And he points out how we still live this today. A half-love, a warped love, or maybe no love at all. He says that the love we receive is always limited by the other person's brokenness. I'm going to say that again. The love we receive is always limited by the other person's brokenness. But before you think that we get off the hook here, we don't because the love we give is always limited by our brokenness too. And because of this brokenness, we cannot fully imagine the true, complete, perfect love of our creative, our creator. We experience conditional love by others so much. We've been hurt, rejected, possibly even abused by people. Friends leave or betray us or give up on us. 
Family members disappoint us or wound us horribly. But let's remember, and I'm stating the obvious here, our God isn't a human, folks. He is so much more. He's the very definition of love. Another quote by David Benner. Jesus is the personification of God's love. The Son came to reveal the character of the Father, to bring us back to the Father, back to love. So, what kind of love is this? What does this real love look like? I'm remembering two of my favorite parables that we contemplate with the children in the atrium. Jesus told these parables to describe himself and the Father. Jesus called himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who goes looking for his sheep. In Luke 15, he says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Or the parable of the forgiving father in the same chapter. The story where a man had two sons and the younger one demanded his inheritance and then went off and squandered it all with wild living, the Bible says. Eventually he found himself destitute, hungry, and so he got a job feeding pigs and ate the pig's food. Before long, he realized that even his father's servants were better off than him, so he decided to go home. He decided to say to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This parable gives us a glimpse of a loving father of God. What kind of amazing love is this? The kind of love that goes after us to find us. The kind that meets us right where we are, mess and all. God keeps pursuing us, looking for us, 
Where are you? He says. He's coming after us again and again and again with his arms open wide, just like the forgiving father in the parable. God, who spoke the universe into existence, who breathed life into creatures and man and woman, who is eternal and holds history and future and all time in his hands. This amazing, mighty God loves you and me. He says, I love you so much. You may reject the good way I have for you sometimes, but I love you and I have redeemed you. Thank you, Lord. So, how do we experience and receive this great love of the Lord? Ultimately, experiencing and receiving the love of God comes from knowing Him. How do you know a person? Not like you know an acquaintance, but how you know a close friend. You spend time being in their presence, interacting with them, listening to them. You grow to love that person through time. You learn their character, their personality. It's the same with God. To know and receive God's love, we must do the same. Get to know him through the Bible, through sitting with him, spend time talking with him listening to him, let him near, let him in. And we're going to take some time to do that right now. We'll take a few minutes to meditate on the love of God through a Bible passage. And this type of meditation is sort of like daydreaming. We don't analyze the passage. We simply read it, sit with it, and soak in it. Just let the words wash over you and settle deep in your spirit. Allow the words to do something to you. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks be to God. Take a moment to bask in this steadfast, kind, faithful love of God.
Father, thank you for your love that pursues us and comes looking for us. Thank you for not giving up on us, even when we run the other direction or when we forget about you. Forgive us for the times when we follow our own way instead of your good way. Thank you for showing us what love is supposed to be. Help us surrender to your love and follow you. In the name and strength of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Once we know God's love, we start to love him in return. Then we can say things like David in Psalm 57. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Once we know God's love, we can surrender to it, follow him, and give it to others. Before we move to communion, I'd like to pray Paul's words, the Ephesians, over you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.